0: Oh, well, ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to another episode of the Football Rewind. It's been a while since we have been back. In fact, I think it's been a little bit over a month and it's kind of crazy when uh, I look back on it because uh, <laughs> obviously I've been busy and haven't been able to do the show. And in addition to that, I didn't feel like there was a ton of relevant information that needed to come out with the draft because so many things change on a week-to-week basis that if you cover everything, I think you're just oversaturating uh, the draft. And if you address every rumor, I think that a lot of these things are just false. Uh, These media members are talked to by scouts and executives and lower level members within the team. And typically they get their marching orders from guys higher up the chain. And so if they say not to tell them who we're, like, that's the other thing too. No other team is going to tell you who they're picking, right? Typically uh, nobody in their right mind is going to do that. And so uh, they they keep it very close to the vest, and in fact, this is when you get a lot of the smoke screens and a lot of cloak and dagger stuff, and we've seen it with the Browns as they've played it very close to the vest this year. Unlike in years past, They it was pretty much known that they were going to take Miles Garrett, and then uh, two years ago, when it was Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, we pretty much knew that they were going to go in that order. I think probably the biggest... Storyline: The most intriguing part of this draft is that we have no idea what's going to happen. I think people kind of expect Sam Darnold to be the first pick off the board. And uh, if you follow this podcast, if you follow uh, college football or the prospects, if you've been following the path to the draft, you would know that probably Sam Darnold and Rosen are probably the guys that are kind of 1-2. They're my two favorites. I actually like Rosen a little bit more than Darnold, and I think Baker Mayfield is third, Uh, but I think that he is probably a tier below Rosen and Darnold. So there was a report that surfaced literally just late last night or this morning that the Browns are kind of going to be expected to take Baker Mayfield now all of a sudden. It's kind of come out here right on draft day, that they may take Baker Mayfield, and so (laughs) my first reaction to that is, I think it's kind of crazy. Uh, Again, I I think Darnold and Rosen are the clear-cut one and two choices, and I think I tweeted last night, if that happens, isn't that just the most Cleveland Browns thing you've ever heard of? Them taking the the guy that's ranked third in the class? Uh, So, I don't know if it's true or not. They have put out so many smoke screens, uh, and I wrote an article for From the Tap Sports uh, who I've been recently partnered with, and uh, you should definitely go check that out. I wrote a little bit about uh, the smoke screens that the Browns have put out there, and then I don't really buy a ton of them. And so I wanted to get that report out there, though, just at the very start of the show to kind of... uh, let it marinate. I guess I I'm, I don't know. I didn't want to bury the lead. That's kind of the story that everybody's talking about. Are the Browns going to take Baker Mayfield? Are they not? I still I kind of just kind of tuning out all that noise. Unless I hear something definitive, I think they're going to go with Sam Darnold. Still, I just now again like it's the Browns. Anything is possible, but I feel like they have to be smarter than that. You have there's no way that they're going to take Baker Mayfield, which who is way too much like Johnny Manziel, who just busted in your system. Now, I get that the Johnny Manziel comparisons aren't completely fair, because Johnny Manziel had substance abuse issues, and so from what I've gathered, Baker doesn't have any of that. It's more just like his antics and his personality and his cocky attitude that have turned teams off. Uh, Almost like a combination of Ryan Leaf and Johnny Manziel. Now again, Ryan Leaf also struggled with substance abuse big time, but I was just watching, I think it was an E60 on him, about uh, kind of just his personality and his attitude when he broke into the league and how he was kind of just a cocky guy and uh, thought, thought he was God. He said in the documentary, he's like, the only, he said, he said that there was a running joke in the locker room, what's the difference between God and Ryan Leaf? And uh, the punchline was, God doesn't think he's Ryan Leaf. And so uh, I think that there's a little bit of that going on with Baker. Again, I think the comparison is probably a little bit unfair because Baker doesn't have any of those glaring off-the-field red flag issues. He does have the video of him running away from the cops, and he gets slammed to the turf after trying to bolt away from the cops, and he's gotten in some trouble on the field grabbing his junk at the Kansas game and talking all sorts of crap to them, although He, that was kind of provoked by Kansas. I mean, you gotta act better than that, but they wouldn't shake his hand at the start of the game. Like, what are you doing, Kansas? So anyways, I just wanted to get that out right up front. I think we're gonna go about a half hour today. I suppose in the timestamp, you'll see whether or not we got that accomplished. Uh, Just kind of a quick overview of the draft. I mean, I don't want to bombard you guys to death going pick by pick, player by player. Uh, My article is kind of the same way. I think it's just a general overview. I think it's I I hope anyways that it's an easy read for you and that you learn something new and that it adds a little bit of intrigue for you going into tonight and you can look for things to kind of expect and what people are expecting to happen. So, uh please go check that out. TJ's been awesome getting me on board and uh I think the partnership with From the Tap is going to be great and uh we I don't know if I should like I I don't think I should say anything about this now, but for the podcast in the future, there there's some interesting things happening, and we'll have to talk and iron out some things, but I, I think that there's going to be some interesting stuff happening it From the Tap, and I'm really excited to grow uh, the brand with them, and they do an outstanding job. Uh, TJ and Nick, check out their podcast at, uh, it's called Brews on the Balcony, they just came up with a new name for it, it was originally the TJ Weber Show, but once Nick got on, he really lobbied for that name change, and he finally got it. So it's Brews on the Balcony. Go check that out wherever you listen to podcasts, and uh, they they do a great job. They're funny guys. Um, Another personal update, I suppose, uh, just to kind of clarify to you guys why I haven't been on here in a month, uh, I was recently hired by Pro Football Focus. Uh, That was the thing I couldn't really talk about when I was going on through the interview process, but... Uh, I accepted a job there, and I will be starting there uh, in the fall, and so my job is uh, uh player participation analyst, and uh, I basically break down film, and I, I call it almost like scouting on a team scale. I don't scout on an individual scale. I don't like take a look at Saquon Barkley and what he does on every play and chart how good he is. It's more of, I chart... Uh, formations, players, roles, that type of thing. So it's, it's it's scouting on basically a team basis of what teams like to do and so on and so forth. So I've been really busy with that in addition to my work with Lindenwood and then I uh have another uh, job to make some money on the side. So that with the combination of the all the draft rumors that I didn't feel like were that newsworthy is kind of the reason that we didn't go too long, but uh, we're back here today, and I, after giving the Baker story and then a quick update, uh, I want to go through kind of the draft, especially the top 10, uh, and what could play out. So if the Browns, in, in the little mock draft that I filled out, I didn't share that with the article because nobody cares about my mock draft, let's face it, I have them going Darnold and then the Giants going Barkley. I think there's a lot of intrigue at just the top two spots alone because... The Giants, I think, this is kind of the consensus with the Giants. I think that they view uh, Sam Darnold as too good to pass on. And here's what I mean by that. They don't really want to draft Eli's replacement yet. I think that they see Drew Brees and Tom Brady, and they say, Eli's only 37. He can play, you know, until he's 42, so we got a couple years here to play with. We don't need to take a... uh, a quarterback this high and I think if you look back at the recent draft history when the Giants have drafted two overall I don't think they took a quarterback I think they took a lineman and I know the other pick was LT Lawrence Taylor and so they want to draft a future gold jacket guy they want to draft a guy that's going to make the biggest impact I don't think they care too much about drafting a quarterback that said I, th- I think they do feel that Darnold is too good to pass on and with the quarterback crop coming out next year, there's it's not nearly as deep as this year. Baker would have been probably the best quarterback prospect by a landslide in next year's upcoming draft. So to put that in perspective, the Giants, I think, realize that. And if the Browns, for whatever reason, took Mayfield or took Barkley or took Josh Allen or did something else crazy, I think the Giants view him as too good to pass on and so that they would pull the trigger on Darnold. At least that has kind of been the consensus. However, I don't think that they really want to take a quarterback, and I think that they, they want Saquon Barkley. Their GM, Dave Gettleman, has been quoted as saying that he's a near-perfect prospect. Uh, Pat Shermer came out and said today, I saw on Twitter, that they're going to stick at two, and that tells me kind of two things. It's that I don't think the interest to move up to number two in the draft was as high as I think a lot of us, including myself, thought. I thought with the Browns taking a quarterback for sure and the Jets taking a quarterback for sure, there was going to be one of those teams, the Bills, maybe the Broncos, the Dolphins, the Cardinals, that was going to uh, want to trade up to that two spot to get their guy because there's going to be two quarterbacks off the board for sure, maybe a third if the Giants ended up taking one uh, before you even get to the fourth pick. So I, I that, I think... Is a little was a little bit overstated, and what it tells me about the second is that the Giants want to make the pick. They have guys that they like, and they have guys that they want to pick with that number two, and I think it's Saquon. Uh, again, gentleman gentle, called Saquon a near-perfect prospect, so I think it's one of those two guys. I'd be really shocked if they took anybody else. Uh, my buddy Colby thinks that the Browns should go with Saquon at one and then take whatever quarterback's left at four, I think that's a little outlandish. However, I get the logic if you do like Darnold, Rosen, and Mayfield, all three of them. If you like all of them, or Josh Allen, or whoever it may be, I mean, you're going to get one of them at four, and you're certainly not going to get Barkley at four. That's what he's thinking. And I think he's right. I think Barkley will probably be off the board to the Giants at number two. The Jets, and so after that, if that plays out, that's where it gets interesting, because the Jets, I think, are between Baker and Rosen. I think that's kind of who they're between. And I think if the Browns take who they were reported to take, if they take end up taking Mayfield, that kind of throws a wrench in everybody's plans because then the Giants maybe take uh, Darnold, and then all of a sudden Saquon's sitting there at three, and the Jets have a decision to make. You can either go Rosen or Saquon. So I think that they're between Baker and Rosen, assuming Darnold and Barkley are off the board, and I think that they'll probably go Baker, Broadway Baker Mayfield it just has a ring to it, uh, similar to Broadway Joe Namath. And uh, when they won their Super Bowl, they thrived with that energy behind under center. And uh, I think that they would be interested in trying to repeat that and capture lightning in a bottle with Mayfield. And then I think that you'd finally get uh, the Browns' fourth pick. And so, after, so that's kind of the quarterbacks at the top. Uh, how, how I think the top of the draft's going to play out, and then you get to the back half of the top 10. There's some interesting things that could play out. I mean, Buffalo is for sure going to want to move up from their 12th spot. The Miami Dolphins are at 11. However, the Dolphins don't have, I think, as good of a cachet, uh, similar to the Arizona Cardinals. I don't think that either of them have the clout to move up, and I don't think that they really want to bet the farm to move up. I think Arizona's maybe a little bit more desperate than the Dolphins are, but Keep in mind here, the Dolphins are a year removed from going to the playoffs, and of course they sold off Jay Ajayi, they sold off a couple other important parts of that team, Uh, Landry, Jarvis Landry is no longer a member, but they're getting Ryan Tannehill back, who took them to the playoffs, got injured I think a week or two before, and then Matt Moore ended up coming in, but before that, they were rolling, and so this uh, notion, this storyline that they are going to jump to replace Ryan Tannehill, who certainly it would be an ability move. That's just he's not our guy anymore because he's not old. Uh, and I think that that's a I think that's a little bit too much too soon. I don't think the Dolphins are going to want to bet the farm to move up. I think they'll stay at eleven. I think the Bills are really going to be the team that moves up, and so. I feel like there's been speculation at every pick past number three about where they can move up. People have thought the Browns might trade away their fourth pick and accumulate some more draft capital. People have talked about Elway moving down. People have talked about the Colts moving down to get some more picks. And it kind of makes logical sense for a lot of these teams because if you're picking in the top 10, you need to overhaul your roster. You most likely don't have a... A very good football team and so you want more picks typically so that you can overturn that roster and if you hit on a couple of those guys all of a sudden you got a pretty decent team so I could see the Colts who have a pretty depleted roster maybe trading back I don't really see the Broncos trading back I think that they're going to stand in and make the pick at five whether that's a quarterback or somebody else I know that uh Chris Harris came out and said that they don't want them to take a quarterback and I guess that they're kind of uh a little bit gun shy as far as that goes. But I think if Rosen's there at five and I mean, by all indications, it appears that he's going to be, I think the Broncos should take him. I think that with Rosen on the West coast, his gameplay, like his style reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers, And I think that's a comparison that's been made by a lot of the national media members. But I think Elway too, who also played in the PAC 12 on the West coast, I think that he probably has to love what he sees from Rosen on tape. And when he evaluates him and, Elway, a Hall of Fame quarterback himself, you would think he would know how to evaluate quarterbacks. Now, here's a, an interesting thing to keep in mind with the Broncos. They have Case Keenum on a two-year deal. Say whatever you want about his talent, whether you like him or hate him. Zach, they're not going to take a quarterback. They have Case Keenum. Well, they only signed him to a two-year deal. He's making $15 million his first year. He's making $21 million his second year. And what that tells me is that they want to—he's a bridge guy, okay? Let's just— Call it what it is. That contract is a bridge contract. And so, to me, what makes the most sense is that the Broncos go and get their quarterback of the future in this draft. I mean, you're drafting five. You have a chance to get a really good player. In my opinion, the best quarterback in the draft class uh, at five. If that happens, you can groom him for a year. He takes over the job. Then you cut Case Keenum. You save the $21 million, and you go improve your, the rest of your roster. And so I understand from a defensive standpoint and from the veterans in the locker room like Chris Harris are like, I mean, we want to win now. We don't want a young guy that can't complete throws. And I kind of I, – I do get that, but – I, I don't understand why your confidence is going to be that much more in Case Keenum, right? He had one outstanding year. He's really failed in the NFL everywhere else he's been. And the guy that made him rich is now the head coach of the New York Giants. That's not his offensive coordinator anymore. He's going to a completely new team. So will he be able to recapture that success? I don't think so. I think that he'll be still okay. I don't think he's going to be anywhere near what he was with the Vikings last season, however. And here would be this would be my advice for the Broncos fans that are a little bit wary about taking a quarterback. Carson Wentz in his second year, the Eagles won a Super Bowl. Jared Goff in his second year, the Rams were one of the best teams in the NFC. And year three is looking like they are going to shoot up to the top of the NFC and make a real run at a Super Bowl. Taking young quarterbacks is the move. And you need a franchise guy. The Bears just did that with Trubisky. We're about to see the first full year of the Patrick Mahomes era. And these young guys are kind of... I mean, they have to be good, okay? And it's, you can't just draft anybody. But these franchise guys, these younger guys, are typically the better options unless you have an established franchise quarterback like Rodgers, Breeze, Rivers, Brady uh, Newton, Russell Wilson, those guys. So I think that the Broncos are more in play for a quarterback than I think that a lot of people believe. And the Broncos have been really murky. Nobody, I think, can get a read on who they want to take. and I think because of that, people feel like, well, the Broncos must not like anybody they want to move down. And so I, I'm I'm not sure if that's the case, and I'm just saying, do not be surprised if they pull the trigger on a quarterback, especially if Rosen's on the board. I think that just makes too much sense. Rosen in Denver, I think he that would be such a great fit. I think he would be an outstanding quarterback if he went there. And I'm uh, as a fan, I'm kind of I'm kind of rooting for that to happen. Same with Baker to the Jets. That's just interesting for my business. That's interesting and noteworthy and newsworthy. So, uh, I'm really, that's going to be an intriguing pick to me. What do the Broncos do at five? So, as we look at the rest of the draft and the rest of the quarterback-needy teams, before we move on to the other positions, Josh Allen is really the other intriguing guy, and uh, if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm not the biggest fan of him. He was in play for the longest time at number one, apparently he still is. Mel Kiper and all those quacks have him going like number one overall, and that's just, again, I, I mean, it's the Browns, anything can happen. But, man, would that be such a Browns pick. (laughs) That would be more of a Browns pick than the Baker Mayfield pick, actually. (laughs) Uh, Josh Allen basically won the the shorts workout, the combine, and that turned a lot of people on. Then you go and look at his game film, and he's really not that good. I mean, I I don't understand what's so complicated about this. The guy completes 56% of his throws in college. And typically, the rule is from Bill Parcells, you don't want anybody below 60. And we've seen some exceptions to the 60 rule. We have never seen a quarterback with as low of a completion percentage as Josh Allen come into the league and be successful. Uh, I think the the guy with the lowest completion percentage in college in today's NFL that's successful is Matt Stafford, who was at 58% in college. And he played at OU. Uh, and this was before the big 12 defenses were complete garbage and Heath showed steady improvement throughout his collegiate career. He improved on that stat every year. So it's not as, uh, far out to predict that he would continue improving in the NFL. So the other one was Matt Ryan, who was 59.9%. Okay. He's basically 60%. So I don't even count that one. However, Josh Allen is in a crop with Kyle Bowler, Jake Locker, and a couple other guys that have fizzled out almost immediately. Arm strength, I think, is one of... I mean, that's his big his big plus. They're like, wow, the arm strength on this kid is amazing. He has the intangibles, and that's what teams look for. They, it's similar to Division I scholarships, people. They don't really care about your high school stats. They don't really care about your technique. They want to see raw talent. They feel like... If you have the intangible ability, they can coach you up and make you good. It's not about that. If you're 6'4 and can run and you're strong, they want you to be their wide receiver. It's it's that simple. I can teach him to catch a ball. I can teach him to run routes. I can teach him all the different techniques that come with being a receiver. That's the same concept when these NFL teams draft uh, college players. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. I think that it's not as good of a practice and in the NFL, because I think a lot of the times you, it, it, it's not like you are what you are, because you obviously guys make big big leaps and bounds and improvements in the NFL, but in a sense that is what I'm saying, because you've already kind of found yourself and uh, established who you are as a player. Like Josh Allen will never be a guy that is a dump-down guy, that is a finesse, touch-passes. This dude's going to sling it all over the field. Come hell or high water, he is going to launch it into double coverage, he is going to take shots down the field. Similar to Jay Cutler. You can't expect Jay Cutler to come out and all of a sudden, uh, my corner's not there, it's like maybe if I throw a perfect pass through this window I can fit it in, but I'm just going to take my check down on the running back. No, he thinks he can fit it through a keyhole, Uh, and that's kind of the same thing, and so that's never going to change. That mentality's never going to change, and so... I don't like drafting intangibles. I don't like it at face value, and I especially don't like it in the NFL, especially at the quarterback position. Again, it's a little different when you're talking about linemen or edge rushers or linebackers. Those guys rely more on athletic ability to be good, whereas I think it's really between your ears. Uh, The quarterback position is, I think, probably like 80% between your ears, and if you look at the successful quarterbacks in the NFL today, not a lot of them have arm strength. Drew Brees is not a high arm strength guy. Tom Brady is not a high arm strength guy. Phillip Rivers is not a high arm strength guy. Now, Aaron Rodgers has arm strength, but that's not why he's good. The young guy, the only young guys that have arm strength really is Carson Wentz. Uh, I wouldn't say Jared Goff has exceptional arm strength. Neither does Russell Wilson. Neither does Matt Ryan. And so... Those guys are very talented, and so I think it's a really overblown statistic. I don't understand why people love Josh Allen, especially with the glaring red flags on tape. However, I've been killing this kid for like five minutes now. I think the Bills are probably going to end up being the ones that trade up to get him. I have them trading up with the Chicago Bears. I think that makes a little bit of sense. The Bears traded away a haul of picks last year to get Trubisky. I think that they'll try to... uh, reaccumulate some of that draft capital and move back. I think that makes some sense. I think, again, I mean, it, the cases can be made for every team outside of pick number three, really, to move back. And uh, I think the Bills are certainly going to find a partner to dance with and move up to get them. So let's see how we're doing on time here. we are about we got about six, seven minutes left before we hit a half hour. So I want to talk about some of the other top prospects, and then I want to talk about some guys that aren't going to be drafted in the first round. Similar to what I did in my article, but we can get more in depth and cover more guys a little bit more quickly. So, Quentin Nelson, the guard from Notre Dame, and Mike McGlinchey, the tackle from Notre Dame, I think they're the two best linemen in the draft. I think they'll be the first two taken off the board. Uh, at the back end, it, since we're talking about linemen, there are a couple of interior guys in Isaiah Wynn with Georgia. Now, I got to, with my work for Pro Football Focus in the application process, I got to uh, study Notre Dame and Georgia both. So I got to see Wynn, Nelson, and McGlinchey, and they're unbelievable. I think that Wynn will be a first-round pick. Will Hernandez, another interior offensive lineman from UTEP, I think will go off the board. I have him going to the Bengals. And there's a couple guys that I didn't put in here that have a very strong case for being drafted first overall, and that's guys like uh, Billy Price, Frank Ragnow and James Daniels, they're all kind of centers that can play guard that have different red flags, one or the other. Most of them are uh, injury concerns. Billy Price, uh, I think it tore his pack at the combine. It was really unfortunate. And then Frank Ragnow missed like four or five games with an ankle, I believe for Arkansas, but he showed an ability to play guard as well as center. So I think that's kind of raising his draft stock a lot with a lot of teams that he can play any interior offensive line position on the outside I've heard a lot about Colton Miller I don't really buy it as much uh, I don't think he's all that good he's like a Nate solder type and I think Nate solder was overpaid I think Nate solder is okay you know I, I don't I don't think Colton Miller is gonna change anybody's life anybody's lives. Uh, I, I'm a much bigger fan of the interior offensive linemen than I am the exterior guys. Other than Mike McGlinchey, and I, I I think Connor Williams from Texas is a pretty good player as well. Orlando Brown, I think if he can refine some of his, uh, some of his form, and he had just a terrible showing at the common. I think that he can still be pretty good. Size wins on the exterior, uh, and on the line in general, at, I think at the very least he'll be a punishing run blocker if they can uh, teach him the right way to do so. So moving on, well, I will, we might as well just cover the rest of the offensive guys but, and then move to the defense. Uh, Darius Geis in the running back. I think he's going to be the only other running back selected in the first round. And I have him going to the lions. Other people have him going later to, uh, the Eagles perhaps, or really in those late end picks. um, I, I think that he's really the only guy that's in play in the first round. Uh, I've heard Sony Michelle brought up a couple times, the running back from Georgia, 511 212 for Sony Michelle. I think a lot of people think that he could be like Alvin Kamara. and I think the problem with that comparison is that Alvin Kamara was drafted in the third round and so therein, his value was just unbelievable. But when you're spending a first round pick, then it's almost like it's expected, right? So I think that Michelle would be a better pick in round two than in round one. Uh, But it just takes one team to fall in love with these guys, and they'll pull the trigger on them. Uh, So that's really all I think is in play for round one at the running back position. Uh, The Saints, I think, along with the Jags, are really the only teams that could take a tight end. I have Goddard and Hayden Hurst going in the first round. I have Goddard going to the Saints and Hurst going to the Jags. Hurst, I think, is the—to kind of give you a little bit of a background on both these guys, because I'm sure you didn't really watch college tight ends. uh, Hurst is a 6'5", 250. South Carolina is where he went to school, and he has been billed as kind of the do-it-all tight end. He is actually a good blocker, and that's not something that you find a lot. In today's college game, because all the tight ends are receivers, and something that you find at the NFL level too. The elite tight ends are guys that can catch the ball, but these NFL teams want you to be, you to be able to do both. Uh, that's part of the reason uh, Jimmy Graham has never been regarded in the same breath with Rob Gronkowski, with Greg Olson, with Travis Kelsey, because he's not as good a blocker as those guys. He's kind of a pure receiving threat out of the slot, and when they split him out, he's a mismatch nightmare. Uh, Goddard is kind of the same way. He's more of a receiving uh, threat than a run blocker, but Hurst is not nearly going to give you the production in the passing game, I don't think, that Goddard does. Goddard is a much more athletic prospect. So that's why I have him going first. I think that there's value in Hurst, but again, I mean, if I was the GM of a team, I don't know if I can justify a first-round pick on that. Again, unless I'm maybe the Jaguars, I don't have many holes to fill you have a pretty good roster and you're picking at the very back end of the first round. Why not take a chance on a guy you know is going to be pretty good at least in Hayden Hurst? So, I think that makes some sense. I have heard a report that the Saints are potentially going to move up a bunch in this draft. They pick up they pick at 27. Now, I don't know who they'd want to go up for and this is this could be an intriguing storyline as it, if it, if it plays out. Now, they could just be doing their due diligence if guys, certain guys fall. You see that a lot in the NFL. Uh, so, for example, I'll give you an example. I learned this from a scout that I listened to. He said, so like, let's say the Broncos at five, uh, if Rosen's not there, they want to trade down. So they could call several other teams or call, teams could call them and say, hey, we're interested in trading up with you, and they'll be like, okay, if Rosen's not not there. We'll trade down for this, this, and this. They'll kind of agree to it in theory. They're basically theoretical trades of if this happens, this is what we want to do, and they'll call teams and figure it out because you don't have that much time when you're on the clock to to iron out these deals, right? So uh, you kind of have to have them in place, at least in theory, or be close on them so that you can. it only takes a minute or two of debate when you're on the phone to hammer out the deal. And so that could be what the Saints are doing here. Uh, However, Drew Brees is 39 years old. They could be looking to draft a quarterback. If they have a guy they like that may slip, uh, that could be it. Uh, They may have just another position player that they like. I'm not a big fan of trading up for certain positions in the first round of the draft. I think if it's a day two or day three pick and you really like a guy, Sure, go up and go up and get him because it's not going to be as pricey in the first round. Trading up is expensive, man. Uh, if you, if you, if you watched the draft last year, you know that because the Bears traded away. I think it was three, three or four picks to move up one spot to take Trubisky from three to two. So it, it's pricey, and so I don't like giving up all of that to get a wide receiver or a defensive tackle. Now, there's certain guys I can live with. If, you're gonna, if you you want to move up a couple spots and it doesn't hurt you a ton in the draft to get a corner or an edge defender or maybe even a, even a runner if he's really good. Uh, if you want to move up from four to two to take Barkley if you're the Browns and the Giants are cool with that, you only have to give up a pick or so, whatever. But I think that for the most part, quarterbacks are really who you trade up for in the first round. That's who you bet the farm for. And that's what we saw last year. The Chiefs traded up to get Mahomes, and the Bears traded up to get Trubisky. So uh, that, that is kind of what I'd be looking for if the Saints do trade up. And if you see tonight that the Saint, there's a they announce a trade, and the Saints have all of a sudden moved into the spot that's on the clock, and they're about to make a pick, I'm telling you, expect quarterback. Whoever's available, Uh, I don't really see any of those guys moving up. I mean, they'd have to move up quite a bit to, I think, be in play for really any of the top four guys, whether it be Darnold, Baker, uh, Allen, or Rosen. Uh, I think that they'll be kind of at the back end on the outside looking in as far as all that's concerned. Um, At the wide receiver position, before we move to the defense here, it looks like we are going to go a little over 30 minutes, but we'll be all right. It's cool. It's draft day, man. It's awesome. I can't talk enough about this stuff. I have Cal- Courtland Sutton as my top wide receiver. Calvin Ridley is kind of the consensus pick there. I think he's the safer pick. He is a higher floor, and I think he's certainly going to have his name called the night. However, I think Courtland Sutton has the highest upside out of anybody in the draft. I have not going to the Cowboys. He's from Southern Methodist. He's from the state of Texas. I think if ever there was a Cowboy Jerry Jones pick left to make before Steven kind of fully takes over, I think this is it, man. You lost Des Bryant. This guy is a physical, flashy receiver that makes incredible plays down the field. Uh, Calvin Ridley is not going to give you what Sutton will give you. However, Ridley's a little bit more refined. Ridley is understands, I think, the details of what it is to be an NFL receiver a little bit better than Sutton probably does, and a lot of that probably has to do with the coaching Ridley received at Alabama and the coaching Sutton received at Southern Methodist. Uh, excuse me, in what is a group of five team. Uh, The other guy that could have his name called is DJ Moore. And honestly, I think that probably all three of those guys will. If anybody gets left out, I think it may be Cortland Sutton. Uh, He doesn't have the draft cachet. I think, coming from a group of five school or the hype surrounding him that I've seen with Ridley and DJ Moore. Guys have been falling in love with DJ Moore. And I get get that the precedent's there. But when a guy is underrated for so long and people keep saying that, eventually they become overrated. I'm not saying Moore is overrated. I think a little bit of that could be in play. I would certainly, I would take him in the first round. I think he's a really, really nice prospect. He's over six feet and he can run and he can jump and he can give you a lot of versatility. He can play the backside wide receiver. He can play the front side and then he can go in the slot and run across the middle for you because he possesses the speed and the ability to do so. He's very much like another guy that came out of Maryland that's really turned, turned into a nice player and a steal for the Minnesota Vikings And Stephon Diggs. They're very much similar players, I think, when you talk about what they do well. Now, maybe not as similar in, in body type. I'd have to look up the measurables on them, and for the sake of time, we're not going to do that. However, I mean, neither of them is overly tall. They both have good speed. And they both came from Maryland. So uh, I think that DJ Moore is going to have his name. I have the Bills taking him, I believe, and with their second pick. I think he's an intriguing prospect. The other guys, I think this is a, actually a really deep wide receiver class. Guys on uh, days two and three that I think could end up being steals are Christian Kirk, Anthony Miller, and Equinemius St. Brown. I love all three of those guys. Miller's from Memphis. Kirk's from Texas AM. St. Brown from Notre Dame. St. Brown's stats are way depressed by the offense that he was in at Notre Dame and how they basically didn't have a quarterback that could get it to him. Uh, Christian Kirk, I think, I, I feel like he's another high-floor guy like Calvin Ridley. There's no way that Kirk busts. He's he's going to be such a good slot receiver in the NFL. 5'11", 201, he can just run you right out of the, right out of the stadium. Uh, and he adds some value as a kick returner. I think Moore does a little bit of that as well. Uh, Anthony Miller is kind of a guy similar to Cortland Sutton that just doesn't quite have the intangibles. He is just a go-getter, man. He has freakish athletic ability. He goes up on high points the football. I just love everything about his game. I think that he's a, he's a steal uh, in the second or third round for sure, and whoever gets him is going to be really happy with him. St. Brown is a guy that possesses a lot of ability, just didn't have the stats to go with it. 6'4", 205. He is a big dude and I think that he could end up being a very, very good wide receiver if he's taken in the second or the third round. I project that's probably where he'll go, day two pick. I'm really, ho- I'm really rooting that the Packers honestly get one of these guys. Maybe Christian Kirk doesn't really fit their system with Randall Cobb, but uh, Anthony Miller or St. Brown, I'd be really fired up if they got either one of those guys. So enough with the offense. We'll go through the defense here real quick. Uh, guys that are be t- kind, of, kind of the top guys on defense, then we'll go into the guys that maybe aren't going to get taken on night one, but I think are still really good. Vita Vey, I, I've heard it's Vita Vea. Uh, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce that, so I apologize, Vita Vea. Uh, he is a stud from Washington, defensive interior lineman. He, along with Deron Payne, Taven Bryan, and what was Moe Hurst, are kind of uh, the top four there. That's, I think, the, the tier at the top vay has been considered a little bit above the rest of those guys so maybe it's vay in a class by himself with the three guys not far behind mohurst may come out may drop out of the first round he was a surefire pick i wrote about this in my article he had an irregular ekg at the combine and that turned a lot of teams off and it's it's really sad he's from michigan and so i really wanted to see him get drafted high to a good team and get loved on a little bit, but it, it might not happen for him. I mean, he's been cleared. It's not an issue. He's going to play in the NFL, and I think that he actually provides a ton of value for whoever gets him because he's going to go either at the very back end of the first round, I think, or uh, on day two. Jerome uh, Payne from Alabama, he's a stud as well. Uh, Taven Bryant from Florida, uh, they're, they're pretty much locks, I think, for the first round. On the edge, it's kind of a one man show with Bradley Chubb at least that's how it's been touted as however i think that Harold Landry from Boston College who also will be taken in the first round is a beast Harold Landry is a little bit of a one trick pony because he just uses speed more than anything he'll just he'll uh dip right around the tackle and uh flatten on the quarterback that's kind of what he does for all his sacks He was just too quick for a lot of these college tackles, especially in the conference he played in at Boston College. That's not going to work every time. I mean, the tackles in the NFL are going to catch on to that. He'll need to be able to develop more than one move. But I really like the initial ability that Landry possesses, and he's been mocked to the Packers by several players. I have them getting Josh Jackson in the corner from Iowa. Uh, I think it's either Jackson, Landry, or if somehow Minka false to them or they trade up to get him. I think those are that's the pick for the Packers. Uh, but I, w- I wouldn't hate it, any of those picks. I really like Landry as well. I don't think that he's that far behind Chubb in terms of uh, pass rushing ability. A guy that's not going to get taken on night one, I don't think, because of all of the off-the-field stuff is Arden Key from LSU. Dude is 6'6", 265. And when you watch him on film, he's, he's, the, he's the best guy. I mean, he's better than Chubb. <laughs> he's... Unreal. Arden Key is a stud. I can't, I mean, now again, I can't speak for the the off-the-field stuff. I think he's had some substance abuse problems and he's had a a number of off-the-field issues that have shied teams away. However, if he is able to just clean that up, I mean, it sounds so simple, right? If he could just clean that up and get on the field, he's going to be unbelievable. If he could just stay on the field, he is going to be such a steal. Uh, Another guy in this class that I think is really good. I'm not the highest on Marcus Davenport from Texas San Antonio. He's probably going to go in the first round. I'm not that high on him. I don't see what there is to love to a huge degree. But I do like this Ogbanya Okoronkwo from Oklahoma. Again, I got to watch him with PFF, and I think that he is going to be a big value pick. A guy that we look back on uh, as, wow, you know what, that guy, that was a really good pick. You know, he provided a lot of ability. I don't think that he's going to be like a Hall of Famer or a Perennial Pro Bowl or anything like that, but I think that he's going to be a really solid player for whoever takes him. Top players across the board at the linebacker and secondary level are Tremaine Edmonds, Roquan Smith, Minka Fitzpatrick, Derwin James, and then Denzel Ward. Uh, those are kind of the guys, and they're all going to be near the top ten, Maybe just outside at 11 and 12 because all the quarterbacks that will be taken. And if somebody trades up to get one, that kind of just pushes all those guys back a slot or two. However, they are kind of the unquestioned best at their position. I really agree with it for the most part. Uh, I really like Tremaine Edmonds for his age. Uh, He's 19 years old. And some people say that that's kind of a knock. That he has to kind of grow into his body still. They don't know what he's going to be. I love that linebacker is a position that's really hard to excel at over 30. Uh, I think we see that more and more. It's really tough to stay good at a position like that. That's why I have so much respect for guys like Thomas Davis on the Panthers that are able to stay relevant for so long. But with Tremaine Edmonds, this guy's not turning 30 for 10 more years. Uh, You can get 10 years of his prime. And I love that. And since he is 19... If you, ever there was a guy that you said, okay, we can coach him up and he can be even better, it's Tremaine Edmonds because he hasn't been playing football that as, as long as some of these other guys. I love Roquan Smith. It was a really tough decision between Edmonds and Smith, uh, the kid from Georgia. He's, he's so good. He's exactly what people are looking for in an NFL linebacker these days. Uh, he's very much a Bobby Wagner type. He has blazing sideline-to-sideline side speed, and he can drop the hammer. So I love him. I think there's a couple more guys that will go in the first round with Rashawn Evans and Leighton Vander Ash. I think they'll be kind of more towards the back end of the first round. Moving on to the, to the defensive backs, I think the safeties are really intriguing. I think there's a lot of really good guys. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick is unbelievable. People have been on the Derwin James bandwagon the last couple weeks, and while I love Derwin James, love him, I think he's unbelievable. I don't understand why people are kind of hating on Fitzpatrick and dropping him down their boards a little bit. I think that that's going to be rectified tonight. I have him going in the top 10 to the Bucks, And I think that he's an outstanding player. I would love it if the Packers somehow got him. He can play inside and out. He can play up high. You can walk him down on the box. He's not going to light anybody up, but he's going to be a sure tackler. He can play in the slot and... Uh, cover the slot receiver. He can actually play outside corner in a pinch too. He is so versatile and that's what guys are looking for in the NFL, except apparently when it comes to Jabril Peppers from Michigan, then he just sucks and doesn't have a position. But if the versatility is there with Minka, I think he's more of a safety than a corner. However, I kind of thought that about uh, Jalen Ramsey too, and he ended up being more of a corner. So I guess don't quote me on that. I don't have a ton of credibility as far as that's concerned. But he strikes me as more of a more of a safety, almost like a Ha Ha Clinton Dix type, it, with a little bit better coverage ability. Uh, Derwin James is very much like the next Cam Chancellor, if you want a comparison. 6'3", 211. He's a better athlete right now than he is a football player, but he just crushes people, and he's going to be a very, very good NFL player. I love Derwin James. I don't think he's better than Minka Fitzpatrick. But I think that they're at least close. Derwin's going to go around the top 10, maybe in the top 10. I know the Raiders would love him. I know the Dolphins, I think, would love him if they could get him at 11. And I think that he's in play for the Bucs, too. Florida State kid, uh, a couple Florida teams may take him in the Bucks and the Dolphins. And I know that Gruden would love to get his hands on him out west. Uh, a couple other guys in the safety before I want to move to the corners. And uh, I'll try to hurry this up here. Marcus Allen from Penn State is a really good player. He's one of those guys that doesn't have the intangibles, I don't think, that some of these other guys have. But I think that he's just a really, really hard-nosed football player. And he's going to end up being a very good safety in the NFL. I really like Deshaun Elliott from Texas. He made my All-American team uh, back when I was at Mizzou writing for KCOU. I don't quite understand why he's not a little bit bigger of a prospect. I think he's a really talented player. Justin Reed from Stanford is really the other guy I'm pretty high on, along with Tremaine Edmonds' brother, Terrell Edmonds, from Virginia Tech as well. I actually thought Terrell was really impressive when I watched him. Uh, the safety class is deep. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. How many names have I listed off? And I didn't even include Ronnie Harrison, who I have as my third-rated safety. There's a lot of guys. I think that the secondary is deep as well, or the cornerback position in specific. The secondary as a whole, safeties and corners are really deep. There's going to be some really good guys, I think found later in this draft. and The corners I have, it's Josh Jackson and Denzel Ward at the top. Uh, Then I have Isaiah Oliver from Colorado at three. I think that all three of those guys are going to be really good. Uh, Isaiah Oliver is not talked about as much. Keep an eye out for him uh, on draft night tonight. I think he could sneak in there, maybe to the Patriots at 31. He is uh, over six feet corner. He is a classic bump and run NFL corner. and I think that uh, a team like the Patriots... Gotta really like what they see from him. Denzel Ward is a little bit undersized. If, if there's anybody from, if there's anybody uh, in those top prospects that could slip a little, it's probably him with his size. People are really concerned about the height of their cornerbacks, and he's only five ten. And we saw Jordan Lewis slip a lot for that last year. However, Denzel Ward is kind of the unquestioned best at his position in this year's draft uh, by all the analysts. I happen to think Josh Jackson is right behind him, if not. Right there with him. Uh, but Denzel Ward, hard hitter, good tackler, freakish athlete. He's going to be a good player. Uh, the other guy I didn't mention was Jair Alexander. There's some other guys too, man. I feel like I just can't I can't mention these guys enough. Carlton Davis. Uh, Mike Hughes from Central Florida. Dante Jackson from LSU. I saw him with PFF. He's really good. Tavares McFadden with FSU. He's not as refined, but he has a lot of potential and upside. So these guys are all over the place, and... They are going to provide a ton of value uh, higher up at the draft. And look at this, how 47 minutes. My God. Guess we didn't hit that half hour mark, huh, guys? But it's draft day. I hope you really enjoyed this podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. We'll be back tomorrow or this weekend, actually, with a with a recap kind of of day one or uh, of the draft. I think we're going to recap day one, night one, tomorrow. I'm actually headed to Wentzville to meet up with my buddy Colby. And we are going to watch the draft together and kind of take it all in and I, I, I really can't wait. It's going to be so exciting for a football junkie like me. It's one of the best nights of the year. Really hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hope you learned something new. If it was too monotonous, I apologize. I can talk about this stuff for days, and sometimes I think I get a little bit too lost in the sauce, if you will. So I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen if you made it this far, and we'll see you tomorrow and next week with some recap of the draft.